Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, welcome back to the podcast. This is the podcast where TLDR does not apply and the study of history is a way of life. We are back uh, for an episode here. Thank you for again for bearing with me on the best of podcast that we've been uploading recently just because uh, I don't have time to do my research and my regular recording because of uh, another project that I am working on, which is soon to conclude. So here before too long, another couple weeks or so. And honestly, I might actually be getting back into the letters this next week here for the Monday episode. There is the possibility I will be able to crank out a regular episode for Monday. I'm working very hard on that, trying to cut a hole in my schedule to be able to do that. Uh, but if it doesn't happen this uh, this next Monday, Monday it'll sure, certainly happen the next Monday after that. Uh, but I don't I don't like to do too many best of episodes in a row, so I figured I would do another episode here. It's going to be a short form episode, of course, because again, my schedule is just an absolute dumpster fire right now. But uh, I wanted to talk about something related to what I touched on previously. In, in the previous episode, I believe it was, I, I mentioned I was reinforcing this concept that the Revolutionary War, this this battle between the founders and the King of England, the Parliament, etc., was was that was our government. That is to say, it was the government of what became the United States of America. It wasn't a foreign government. It wasn't the United States fighting against a foreign power. It was the United States, basically, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, fighting against our government in a war, a shooting war, where many, many people died. Tens of thousands of people died. It was, uh, it was no small-time thing. This was a big deal. And I wanted to talk about the reasons why countries go to war with themselves, specifically, you know, the Revolutionary War, and why did the British Empire go to war with itself? Because, again, the United States was a part of the British Empire. That was us. That was our government. And there's a few reasons why, you know, countries go to war with themselves. I mean, probably more than a few, but there's two big ones that I that I observe. One of them is the usual suspect, you know, that a tyrant is either in the making or already in power, and the tyrant wants more power, more control over the people. Isn't that a common theme that we see throughout history? The tyrant wants more power and wants to control the people. And as I mentioned before, that's why we have a Bill of Rights in the United States of America in the Constitution. It was to control the government. It wasn't to control the people. It was to control the government, to keep the government from doing too much, from doing too many things wrong, from attacking the people. That was that was the idea behind it. It was meant to keep the tyrant under control. Should there ever be one in the United States, heaven forbid. We've had some wannabe tyrants in the United States. Yes, we have. I know I know it's hard to believe, but yes, there have been people, including presidents of the United States, who have tried to be tyrants. They have tried to set themselves up as a tyrant. They never really succeeded at doing it, but they have definitely tried. I'm not going to name names, but they I, is, based on my study of history, I see it. I see it clear as a bell, because I know a tyrant when I see one, or more specifically, I know a wannabe tyrant when I see one. You read about enough tyrants throughout history, you start to understand the, the, the various games that they play. And it is a game to these people. Uh, it really is. A very nefarious game that usually ends up with a lot of people getting killed. But it is a, it is a game to these people. They're, they're basically sick and twisted individuals. So there, there's that. That's one reason why countries go to war with themselves. The tyrant basically instigates it for one reason or another. 
You know, the other another reason why countries go to war with themselves is they get divided. They usually get divided up into two or three groups, maybe more. And then they those those groups are set against one another in some kind of a conflict, usually a social conflict at first, and then eventually a shooting conflict. Uh, either that or a genocide, one of the two. So so either there there there's there's a shooting conflict between two parties, like a civil war type situation, or just an outright massacre and genocide where one group has sufficient enough power over the other, where a shooting war doesn't really take place, not on any meaningful level. Instead, it's just one group is able to over so overpower the other that they just start marching them into the gas chambers or to the gulags or to the extermination camps or whatever, and they just start massacring whole swaths of people. And honestly, it's really for no other reason than hatred and honestly control, because there's always somebody behind the group, the the group that usually is the belligerent faction, the one that ends up marching people off into the gas chambers or the extermination camps. There's usually somebody behind it all, and they're using the the battle between the groups to gain power. So it's you know it always kind of comes back to the same thing. There's some tyrant or wannabe tyrant who wants power. And there's this concept, you know, everybody knows this saying. You gotta pay attention to these phrases that go back like 100, 200, 2,000, 5,000 years. Phrases like, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you heard that before? Probably. Now, you would think that this would inspire every country in the world to give very little power to the central authority, the executive as we call it here in the United States of America, the executive branch. But that's not the case, is it? Oftentimes what we see is a lot of power concentrated very heavily in the central authority, the central power. Why is that? Hasn't this lesson been learned over and over again and suffered by millions and millions of people? Honestly, it's been suffered probably by billions of people over the last 10,000 years. Billions of people, millions of people screaming in agony as they're being murdered and tortured and killed in these kind of fights. Yet we haven't actually sufficiently learned the lesson enough to cut the knees out from underneath the central power. Why is that, do you think? Well, it's a it's a case, it's a good old-fashioned case of history repeating itself. And it's a it's another fine example of what I call a, uh, the self-imposed stupidity. You don't study history, you don't remember these things. And you can run around saying that quote all day long. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But if you don't really understand it, you're not going to do anything about it. And you're not going to really understand how to stop it. And you're not going to understand that the Bill of Rights is a bulwark against that kind of thing happening. As a matter of fact, the entire Constitution is meant to be a bulwark against that kind of thing happening. But as I mentioned in a previous po- previous episode, you know, the Constitution of the United States, especially the Bill of Rights, is under attack daily in the United States. Now, this is going to shock some of our overseas audience. Some of you folks overseas are going to be like, oh my gosh, really? Oh my gosh, really? Is the Constitution actually under attack inside the United States of America? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Every single day of the week, every single minute of every single day, it's under assault. I mean, we've got one heck of a conversation about free speech going on in this country right now. You've got people who hate free speech, and you've got people who support it. And there's millions of people on both sides. And the country continues to tear itself apart over this issue. Now, it used to be clear to everybody. Everybody used to agree on this, with rare, with rare exception. There was always a few people who disagreed with free speech. But, you know, 
now there is this um, this great war being waged against it. It's quite striking, and this is kind of this is the beginnings of the factions. This is how factions get started. One group gets set against another. One group wants to shut the other group up, and then they want to shut another group up, and then they want they want people in their own group to shut up because they disagree with the group now, and it, it just spirals out of control. Next thing you know, you've got a you've got a real situation on your hands where people are getting killed, and I'm not making that up. People think, oh my gosh, Roman, you're being dramatic. People aren't going to get killed. Are you sure about that? Because it's happened in just about every country that's ever existed in the history of the world. You better be real doggone sure about that. Crack open a history book and start reading buddy because that's how that's where these things go but we haven't learned the lesson right so you know when king george the third wanted more power and I, I believe that that's really you know what his deal was he looked at the colonies in the americas and he thought you know perhaps they have too much autonomy because the the colonies really did have quite a bit of autonomy and we've talked about that you know they they weren't represented in parliament so they were represented by their uh legislatures and we've talked about those in previous episodes. In Massachusetts and Virginia, primarily, also Pennsylvania, we've talked about a few of those. We've actually pulled up some examples of that. And the king was like, yeah, I don't know if I like that very much. I need to be able to ride roughshod over these guys, and it's really hard to do it from 3,000 miles away. Back, th back then, you know, it was very difficult to get uh, information across the Atlantic, let alone, you know, your, your, your dictatorship to actually function over that kind of geography. So he had to he had to kind of tighten the rope around the colonies, you know. Part one of the ways they wanted to do that was taxation without representation. They they wanted to do it by other means as well. And when the king couldn't get his way, he stomped his feet like a little child. I've talked about that before. He shaked his little fist uh, at the colonies, and he decided to send the military in there. Basically, oust the government of Massachusetts, put in a military governor, and send send regular military troops in there. Because this is what tyrants do. Now, the people of Massachusetts were pretty peaceable most days. I mean, the worst thing you can point to is the uh, Boston Tea Party. And that was really over and done with in a single night. Best as I can recall, nobody got hurt. It wasn't like they were trying to, you know, burn the city of Boston to the ground or declare war or independence or anything like that. That's not what they were doing. They really just, uh, in a moment of uh, stupidity, as I would describe it, you know, threw some tea overboard overboard of a ship. And it was a, it was a, it was the wrong thing to do, in my humble opinion. People can disagree with me on that. That's fine. But did that justify what the king did? No. The king really used these kinds of things as a, as an excuse to do what he always wanted to do, which was finally bring the iron fist down upon the colonies. These, these somewhat, you know, rebellious colonies that didn't go along with uh, all of the king's dictates and were constantly trying to fight back and claw back the rights that they had. Situations like the Stamp Act, you know, we've talked about that before where the colonists fought back against these kinds of things and got some of these taxes repealed over time. King didn't like that very much. He didn't like that his, uh, his, his iron will was not being adhered to over there in the colonies. So he wanted to extend his power. He wanted to increase his power. The British Empire was still young at this time, very young, and it was it was very small compared to what it would eventually become. I, I have a I've mentioned this before. I have a map of the British Empire at its height, um, hanging on my wall, and it it is absolutely massive, huge swaths of Africa, India, still you know, parts of the Americas, even after even after the Revolution, obviously Canada and whatnot. I mean, the the British Empire was absolutely massive. Eventually, at this particular point in time with the founding, it really was not. It was quite small compared to what it would eventually become. So King George III, I think, had these aspirations of a larger empire. The British Empire was growing, which means that King George III, his power was growing. His power in Europe was growing. His power around the world was growing. And so he got thirsty for absolute power, I suspect. 
And, you know, the, the various kings of England have, have dabbled around with this in times past and tried to overthrow the various laws that tried to give people freedom and a more of a say in their daily lives and their legislatures, their parliaments, etc. We've talked about that before. So, you know, tyrants, tyrants do this kind of thing, you know, and in the case of King George III, I don't think he was the worst tyrant in the world at the time or before or after. There's certainly been many worse tyrants than, uh, than him. I mean, we talked about Ivan the Terrible. Ivan the Terrible was pretty doggone terrible. There's a reason why he's called Ivan the Terrible. Uh, his his uh, willingness to massacre his own people pretty much knew no limits. So King George III was not that guy, and I don't want to say that he was, but he was certainly a tyrant, and I believe that he aspired to be a bigger tyrant than he was. Any king is a tyrant, by the way. Uh, pretty much, and some people might disagree with that, but I, I would say that any king, regardless of how tyrannical they are or how gentle a, a king that they are, they're all tyrants at the end of the day. Varying degrees of the same thing. King George was, was more towards the moderate end of the tyrant, but that didn't stop him from, in my opinion, usurping his power and violating the rights of British subjects in the American colonies and declaring war on his own people. Because tyrants, you know, they're, they're always willing to declare war on their own people if they have to. It's a very dangerous thing. You know, you got to keep an eye out for this, this, this kind of mindset of the central power viewing one whole group of people in a nation, a country, a kingdom, whatever the case may be, as the enemy. Anytime you start hearing a, a central power label millions and millions of people as the enemy within their own country, you've got to pay very close attention to that because it usually means that a war is coming. And again, somebody's going to say that's too harsh. Oh my gosh, Roman, you're being too harsh. How dare you? How dare you, Roman, say that war is coming in a country where the central power says that there's people, millions of people in their own country that are the enemy. Well, it's like, what else do you expect to come from that? I mean, if the central power really does believe that many millions of people in their own country are the enemy, what do you expect them to do? I mean, what would you do if you believed that there was an enemy amongst us? Wouldn't you go to war with that enemy? Wouldn't you try to destroy them? I think most people probably would. So why would you think anything different of the tyrant, like King George III or any number of other tyrants that have lived? They start seeing their own people as the enemy, usually they end up going to war with them. Now sometimes there are domestic enemies, we know that. There are people out there who want to just break things and hurt people and do all manner, for no other reason than just to do it, just to raise chaos. Now those are enemies of the people, that usually end up being a relatively small number of people for the most part. And I don't say, I'm not saying there's a problem calling those people the enemy of the people, because they clearly are. But if you got millions of people who are relatively peaceful, like the colonies in, you know, in this particular time period, 1774, 75, vast majority of them relatively peaceable people. And honestly, uh, many of the founding fathers still really enjoyed the British Empire. And they, they really wanted to continue to participate in the British Empire. But they wanted to do so with their rights intact. It's not unlike, you know, these attacks on the Bill of Rights in the United States today. There are many people who, who absolutely adore the United States of America, including me, and who adore the Constitution of the United States. And I'm perfectly happy being a, an American citizen, but I, I want to do so with my rights intact. 
Uh, because if my rights are not intact, there really is no point in being an American citizen now, is there? There really is no point. It's an absolutely worthless exercise to be an American citizen if your rights are not intact. So that's why I mention, you know, the, the various assaults on the First Amendment. It's not that I'm trying to get modern political. I don't do that on this podcast. But I have to put things in context for you so you understand. This thing that the Founding Fathers did, they did for a reason. And, you know, they didn't put the First Amendment in there because they were bored on a Tuesday afternoon and had nothing else to do with their time. They did it. Because they understood what King George III was, and they understood his desire to shut people up. There's a reason why Samuel Adams, the father of the American Revolution, was a big target of British agents in the colonies immediately preceding the war. It was no accident, because he was a voice. He was speaking. And eventually, everybody in the Congress was a target. And, and what did they start off doing? All they started off doing, really, was petitioning the king, trying to address him verbally and in writing, saying, we just want our rights, we just want our freedoms. And we read some letter, we read a letter from, uh, or actually it was a diary entry, I believe, I forget, it was a letter or diary entry from John Adams that talked about this need to be able to speak. And he was responding to a guy who had written a pamphlet who was um, really articulating that people should just shut up. And it was very, very similar to this discussion that we have about the First Amendment today, which is partly why I bring it up, is because it echoes so, so similar to what John Adams was talking about and that pamphlet that he was trying to rebuke. The pamphlet was telling everybody, just shut up and go, al get, go along, go along with what the king wants because you might offend the king. And we shouldn't do that. We're British subjects. And John Adams was trying to tell him, we have to be able to speak. Otherwise, what's the point? How do you not speak up for your rights? And it was in this act of speaking up that they really upset that tyrant king over there in, uh, over there in Britain. Uh, the tyrant king didn't enjoy that very much. He, he didn't like the colonists doing that. Parliament didn't like him doing that. A lot of people over in Britain and some people in the colonies didn't like him doing it. The loyalists didn't like the, uh, the Congress actually speaking up. But the Congress was really just, that's all they were doing was exercising what we would call the First Amendment today. Of course, they didn't have that exactly, but they felt it was their right as British subjects, as human beings, frankly, to be able to speak up. And for that, the, uh, the British king declared war on them with regular military soldiers. This defending of the First Amendment, this defending of free speech is very necessary. But it can be very dangerous if you, uh, if you, if the tyrant is willing to push things to the extremity. If the tyrant and his people are willing to uh, go to the mattresses, so to speak, then it can be a very dangerous thing. Because um, some people just don't get it. They don't understand that you cannot just sully the First Amendment and freedom of speech and expect to retain any kind of freedom whatsoever. That's not how that works. And the Founding Fathers knew that, which is why they defended their ability to speak up so, so strongly. And John Adams picked up his pen and decided to defend that right uh, quite vigorously, as he did. And, I, you know, I mentioned in, in the previous episode that the, that the Bill of Rights used to be sacrosanct, something that was um, unass unassailable. You, you, didn't, you didn't attack the Bill of Rights. And the reason why you don't is because once you begin to pick, a, pick away at that thing and chip away at it, People in the United States, I think, instinctively knew once upon a time, this has obviously been lost in modern times, but once upon a time they knew, you start picking away at that thing, then you start creating these factions inside the United States, and it doesn't take very long for those factions to begin to be emboldened by some wannabe tyrant who then starts fanning the flames and starting start pitting one group against the other. Eventually, you know, you, you get yourself into a, a really a really nasty situation. So for, for the United States to survive, we really have to avoid the kind of thing that happened in 1775. 
And the only way to really do that is to is for the United States as a whole, collectively, to point at the Bill of Rights and say, you're not touching that. This is a line that shall not be crossed. Because keep in mind, again, the Bill of Rights was not in the original draft of the Constitution. They are the original implementation of not just the draft, but the implementation of the Constitution. It was put in there later because there was such a demand for it. You don't just put 10 amendments into the Constitution on a whim. That's not how that works. It's very difficult to get a single amendment into the Constitution, let alone 10 in one full swoop. Now, it started off as 12. Not a lot of people know that. There were actually 12 amendments originally proposed in the Bill of Rights, and it became 10. 10 were ratified. Because if you look at the copy that was actually signed out of the Senate by Vice President John Adams, President of the Senate, there were 12 of them. And I'll talk about those on a future episode of the podcast. If you want to look it up, you know, before we get to that point, you can. But it became 10. That's a pretty good success rate. Pretty doggone good success rate. And there's a reason for it. There was a very strong demand amongst the states. We've got to have these rights articulated and written into that Constitution so that everybody knows and no tyrant can come in here and try to abuse us on any, any of these issues. We have to make it plain. It has to be written in there because it's going to be forgotten. See, because all the Founding Fathers knew that those rights were sacred. They, they understood that, yeah, well, of course, freedom of speech, of course, the well-regulated militia, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, of course, you know, you don't quarter troops. They knew it, and they would never do anything like that, but, but the founding fathers, the states more specifically, the states understood that eventually the federal government might run away with itself and start reinterpreting things and just forget that these things are, that there's certain principles that are supposed to be adhered to. So they had it written into the Constitution of the United States. Let's not forget about that. And I know some people hate the First Amendment. I got it. But, you know, sometimes even though you hate something, you have to just bite your frickin' tongue. Because you know that attacking it, if you're an intelligent, actual thinking person who has more than two brain cells to rub together, you understand that even though you hate the First Amendment, you attack that thing and you start chipping away on it, eventually, eventually, somebody's gonna come calling. And they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna tie a rope around your neck and drag you down the street. That's how that works. And you start chipping away at that Second Amendment. You start chipping away at it to the point where you so weaken the American people they can't even defend themselves against anything. Eventually, somebody's going to come calling. And I know you're going to hope and pray that it's not you, that it's not your children that they come calling for. But you never know. And you start chipping away at that Third Amendment. And you start chipping away at that. And you start, you start undermining this concept of the suspicion of a standing army. And eventually that army is going to come calling if they haven't already. And that army is going to come calling for you. And it's not going to be pleasant when it happens. I've already talked about Ivan the Terrible and how he used his military against his own people to massacre them and butcher them. It can happen here. It's happened before in the United... Well, in the uh, what was the British Empire at the time, and it, it, it can happen again. And you again, one by one, you start chipping away at these things, and bad things happen. So, you know, we got to get back to a place where we don't try to repeat 1775 all over again. The Founding Fathers were trying to communicate that to us quite uh, quite extensively. Because the tyrant, you know, the, the tyrant, tyrant is the enemy of us all. You know, those of us, we may disagree with each other as people. Whether you live in the United States or whether you live in Ukraine or whether you live anywhere else in the world, it doesn't really matter. The tyrant is the enemy of all of us. Some people have a real hard time understanding that. Some people want to play footsie with the tyrant because the tyrant might be able to do things for them. The tyrant might try to buy them off. 
the tyrant might try to pay them. The, the, the tyrant might try to give them all kinds of bennies to make their life a little bit more comfortable. But believe me, in the long run, the tyrant is the enemy of everybody. It's the enemy. He's the en He or she is the enemy of you. They're the enemy of me. They're the enemy of everybody. So every single one of us has to keep an eye on the tyrant or the wannabe tyrant or the would-be tyrant. We have to keep an eye on these jokers because if we take our eye off the ball and we start staring each other down and start attacking each other, the tyrant is going to be able to ride roughshod over all of us. And thank goodness the Founding Fathers had this concept. We should all hang together, or most assuredly, we will all hang separately. Was that Benjamin Franklin that said that? I forget. But you get the idea. And that's why the United States is supposed to be a union of states. We are separate to a certain extent. We're supposed to be unified, unified against any, any concept of a tyrant, like King George III. And thus far, the United States has been pretty doggone successful at keeping the tyrant at bay. Pretty doggone successful, I would say. And all we gotta do is just keep doing that. But in order to be able to do that... We have to, again, point towards the Bill of Rights and say, no one is going to cross that line. Never again. It took a lot of work and a lot of dead bodies to get that, to get that Bill of Rights written into that Constitution and to keep it there and to, to write some of the future amendments. There was a, there's a couple of amendments in that Constitution. It took 700,000 people to die to get those Constitution, to get those amendments written into that Constitution. And I would say, you know, let's not collectively go down to Arlington Cemetery and urinate on the graves down there. What do you say we try to avoid that? And I hate to paint too blunt of a picture. I hope nobody's offended by that. But again, I'm, I'm trying to say don't do that. And believe me when I tell you this, when we attack the Bill of Rights, when we attack any of our basic human rights, by the way, it's like we're collectively urinating on the graves at Arlington National Cemetery and saying, we don't care. Let's try to avoid that. And again, re remember always that the tyrant is the enemy of all of us, just like King George III. He was the enemy of all the colonists. The loyalists had a real hard time understanding that, though, didn't they? Because they were, they were blinded by lust. Oh my gosh, did Roman just say that they were blinded by lust? Yep, that's exactly what I just said. What do I mean by that? They were blinded by lust. You know, people, there are people who love the tyrant. They love the idea of the tyrant. I don't know why it is. It's kind of a, it's a little bit of a womanish mindset, for lack of a better way of putting it. It's it's kind of a, a, a lust for the power man, the strong man, the, the tyrant. Um, you know, there's people who just absolutely adore the strongman figure. It's like a Mao Zedong kind of thing, you know. And Mao Zedong may have killed, you know, 20 or 30 million of his own people, and he did, by the way. But by gosh, people sure love that guy. Not everybody. I'm sure the people who were being murdered by him at the time didn't really, didn't really care for the guy too awful much, but there were a lot of people who did. I mean, that guy didn't come into power for no reason at all. It's like Joseph Stalin. He may have killed, you know, several million of his own people by shoving them into the gulag. Not to mention by throwing their, by throwing a bunch of them into the, in front of, you know, German bullets for really no strategic reason whatsoever. But, um, by gosh, people love that man. And that's a problem. You, you gotta not fall in love with the tyrant. And that's a difficult thing to get some people to do, because for some reason there is this strong attraction to the tyrant. And there were people who were attracted to King George III. They loved that man. And they were very misguided. And even even when King George III ordered the troops out of the city to go hunt down and kill uh, British subjects, they still loved that man. It didn't matter to them because again, they took their eye off the ball. They stopped. They they started looking at their fellow their fellow British subject as their enemy instead of looking at the tyrant as the enemy. Tyrant was the enemy. But people get kind of wrapped up in this cult of personality, uh, as we would call it today, and they they don't see. 
can't see the forest through the trees. I mean, how does Germany in the 1930s end up the way that it did? You know, people fall in love with uh, the tyrant. It's really the same old story. It just it just happens over and over and over again. And the people like me and the people like you who study history, we try to convince the rest of society not to jump off the edge of the cliff. But it's really hard to hold these people back, isn't it? It's, almost, it's a very self-destructive phase that societies go through when they fall in love with the tyrant. Because eventually, you know, all tyrants do the same thing. They all go to war with their own countries. Eventually, they all do. Hitler went to war with his own country in various respects. I can string together a logical argument for that. Stalin went to war with his own country. Mao Zedong surely went to war with his own country. He was engaged in a civil war with the, uh, the nationalists for a good long time. And heck, the, the Japanese during World War II, they went to war with their own country in various respects. Certainly towards the end, there was a, a group of power-hungry generals, you know, Tojo and the boys who tried to launch a coup against the emperor. Fairly well-known story. What was that? Was that is, that? is that not going to war with your own country? Of course it is. Why? Because tyrants always do. And our, our responsibility as, as citizens or subjects, in some cases citizens here in the United States, subjects elsewhere, is to, is to try to avoid that kind of thing by, again, don't take your eye off the ball. Pay very close attention to the tyrant, the wannabe tyrant, the would-be tyrant. Pay very close attention to them and don't let them cross that line. There were many British subjects who were willing to let King George III just cross that line. And then we end up with 1775. Bad times all around. Uh, most of the Founding Fathers did not wish for that war. They did not want that war. They didn't want anything to do with it. They just wanted to return back to the British Empire with their rights intact. But they just couldn't convince that tyrant king to stop acting like a child. And that's a shame, because, you know, we things would have been better if we could have avoided that war. It really would have been, if people could just be reasonable and accept the rights of the uh, the American colonists, uh, British subjects, and all the rest of it, and, and let just let them live in peace uh, with their rights intact, I, I think everybody, you know, would have been perfectly happy with that, to be honest with you. They would have been happy not to watch their, their, their fathers and their brothers uh, get killed in combat. You know, I, I think about um, I think about these various stories throughout history where the the tyrant is allowed to get off of his leash and to start uh, running amok in, in society and, and hurting people, and you know it disturbs me greatly the the propensity for people to allow this to happen because they agree with the tyrant, they like the tyrant, they they lust after the tyrant, and there you know there are some people out there. That really, it's 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 almost like, and they they even lust after the bloodshed. There are there were people who just absolutely enjoyed watching British soldiers murder, literally murder colonists who were loyal to the Congress, to the to the founding fathers, and to the principles that they represented. More specifically, they enjoyed the bloodshed. Sad commentary, because you should never enjoy that kind of thing. So again, you know, kind of in conclusion here, you know, King George III was was a, you know, again, not the worst tyrant in the world, but he had all the all the worst all the same kind of problems. He he wanted more power, he wanted absolute power. He wanted to try to usurp the rights of the 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 people in the colonies in the in the Americas at the time. And that's bad enough. You don't have to be an Adolf Hitler. You don't have to be a Joseph Stalin. You don't have to be a Mao Zedong. You don't have to be any one of those people to to be to be labeled a tyrant. You can be a King George III and still be labeled a tyrant, and he was. And he needed to be stopped, just like every other tyrant like him. So don't don't think just because one tyrant is less bad than the other that he's okay. It's that's not how that works. All tyrants are bad, and all tyrants need to be stopped and deposed, in my opinion. 
It's, it's one more reason, again, to not take for granted and to not attack the Bill of Rights of the United States. That is a, it's a beautiful thing, really. And I'm so happy that we have it. And I'm so happy that we have a lot of people still here in the United States who really appreciate the Bill of Rights and who defend it and who support it. Um, it's, it's a great thing that we have here. So let's just hold on to that. And for those folks overseas uh, and international, not even overseas, people who live on the same continent of the United, as the United States, North America, and our, our friends in South America, if you don't have that, if you don't have a Bill of Rights, then, then strive for it, fight for it. Try to affect that kind of thing. To speak up about it. You know, the United States did that once upon a time. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get it without fighting a war. My my persistent hope is, is that everybody else in the world can have something like the Bill of Rights without having to fight a friggin' war to get it, because it shouldn't have to be that way. Should be able to just speak up about it, you know, raise your voice about it and just uh, and just get it. Oh, it may it may take some time, but just get it because I'm I really I really wish that everybody could enjoy that kind of that, that those concepts of freedom. And we've had some we've had some really good, you know, government in the United States that's really allowed that Bill of Rights to prosper here. And it's a it's a it's a good thing. And, you know, the like I said, this this weird thing we got going on now where the people of the United States are starting to really, you really, you know, kind of go after the First Amendment, amongst others. It's not the only one is really a disturbing trend. And because, like I said, you start doing that and you're going to start taking your eye off the ball. And eventually somebody is going to try to use that against you. And they're going to try to use it against the United States and the people here. And we can't allow that to happen. We're all in this together at the end of the day. Like I said, it's us versus this this concept of the tyrant. And we may not have a tyrant in the United States right now, which is a good thing. But it doesn't mean it can't happen. Because it could. Like, real doggone quick. Especially if you take your eye off the ball. And that's that's uh, the enemy of all of the American people, no matter what you stand for, no matter which side you're on, no matter which uh, which brand of politics you you uh, you adhere to. It's the enemy of everybody, and we should endeavor to uh, understand that better as, as a society, as a country. And the first step in that direction is to study history. Uh, we've got to get the study of history off of the back burner, as I say, and we've got to get it on the front burner. And the schools aren't going to do it because they're too busy teaching whatever the heck it is that they teach these days. And, and some of that is, you know, the important stuff like math and science and all the rest of it. But some of the stuff they teach in school, honestly, is just worthless. So the, the rest of us have to really make up the gap. And, and teach history uh, as best as possible and get together with like-minded people and try to find new ways to, to talk about history to, and to enjoy it. Uh, those of us who do actually enjoy the study of history, this podcast is one way that we do that. I call this our study group for the Founding Fathers so that we can talk about King George III and we can talk about 1775, 76, and beyond as we continue to march down this road. And I hope that you'll continue to join me on this, uh, on this study group. Share it with uh, friends, family, anybody that you know that might be interested in it, or other history podcasts that you listen to for that matter, because, you know, as long as it's good history, as long as it's real history, like we try to uh, talk about here on this podcast, it's all good. You know, I mean, it, I don't care if you're talking about the uh, history of Europe or the history of Asia, the history of Africa, the history of the Middle East, and there's a rich history in the Middle East. As long as it's real history, it's, it, it, there's lessons to be learned absolutely everywhere. And there's, there's lessons certainly to be learned in the, the letters of the Founding Fathers, and I hope we can get back to the letters here on the next episode. And again, my, my apologies for uh, not being able to crank out those episodes as, as often as I would have liked recently, but the project that I was working on is coming to a conclusion, so I will be able to dedicate much more time to the podcast and get back into my research. 
and share some of this good stuff with you folks. And I appreciate those of you who've been hanging on through the best of podcasts and uh, and bearing with me while I, I post those. And, and also these short form episodes that don't really talk about the letters because, again, I don't have time for the research right now. But just talk about broad concepts. Uh, about uh, King George III or the Bill of Rights and why the Bill of Rights was created and how valuable it truly is and how lucky we are to have it, how blessed we are to have it. But again, it, it's it's not, and again, it's not luck. I shouldn't say it's lucky that we have it because luck had nothing to do with it. It was a lot of people who decided to fight for it, uh, both in uh, in Congress and in the field of battle, uh, inside the boundaries of the United States and also outside the boundaries of the United States. And it's a, it's a big thank you to all of those folks who've been in Congress, who have uh, helped to perpetuate the Bill of Rights, and also those folks out there who have fought to make sure that we still have it. Uh, I consider it to be a great blessing to, to be a beneficiary of all of that hard work. And for those folks out there who are still fighting for it, whether they be in uh, the armed forces or in Congress or in state houses, state legislatures who continue to work uh, to make sure that we have things like the Bill of Rights, a uh, big thank you to all you folks. And uh, we're, we're lucky to have you folks who fight for that kind of thing. So I hope you'll join me on the next episode of the podcast. I, again, I hope to put out a real form episode as, as opposed to a best of for the for the our regular Monday episode that's going to be coming up here. And uh, I can't guarantee it, but I'm going to certainly strive to do exactly that. And with all that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you. <laughs>